You're listening to the preaching ministry of First Baptist Church in Newton, North Carolina. By God's grace and for His glory, we're striving to be a community of disciples who are growing in trust, growing in love, and growing disciples. We pray you'll be encouraged to deeply love and trust our Savior Jesus Christ through this ministry. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Um, but we're going to be in Hosea chapter number 13. I feel like a man who always needs a bigger podium because I bring too many things. And if it could just be this big, maybe I could fit everything up here. But you know how it is. I'd probably just bring more things um, and it wouldn't work. But we're going to be in Hosea chapter number 13. Um, As we come to our text, um, I've been thinking this week about it, of course. You'd hope so. Um, But I've been thinking through this text. And and today we're we're going to be looking about the self-reliance of Ephraim, which is a tribe in Israel, the major tribe in Israel, or in, in the ten tribes. And then uh, of the nation of Israel. And, and so when I've been thinking about self-reliance. And, you know, self-reliance generally we think of as a good thing. It's, it's good if you can provide for your family. It's good if you can take care of yourself. There, we, we all want to be self-reliant, don't we? It's, you know, what my boy Sam is three years old. And um, I'm trying to train him in small ways to be self-reliant. Now at three years old. You know my expectations for him are smaller than what your expectations for me would be. But, you know, I'm trying to get your shoes on, some of these things, and, you know, help him become more and more, little by little, more self-reliant. And, um, but, but there are ways in which self-reliance could be a bad thing, right? Um, you, you know, in a marriage, it's, it's, it's meant to be a, a team sport, right? Raising children it's, it's meant to be a team sport. Uh, there's no sense in which we want to be completely, I'll do it myself, in those realms. Um, maybe at your job, you work on a team, and you know if you're the guy who says, I'll do it all myself, the rest of your team is thinking, he's not my favorite person right now. You, you, there, there are places where self-reliance can be a bad thing. I, I remember once, when I was a child, where... I don't remember my age, maybe I was 10 or 12, I'm not sure, but I decided in some sense I was going to be self-reliant. I, I got angry at my mother for something, I don't remember what, but I, I, we were in the kitchen or dining room and I said, you know what, I'm going to run away from home. Uh, children, this was a bad idea, this is not an idea you should take, you, learn from this story. And my mother says, okay, she is not upset. She's not worried. She's not distraught. You would have thought there'd be some reaction beyond, okay, but there wasn't. Well, I'm not deterred. I walk out that door, and we have a hill, a hill beside their house, and there were trees. And and so I, I don't know where I think I'm going at 10 or 12 years old, but I decide to walk up the big hill. Well... I don't know how long it takes me at 10 or 12 to get to the top of the hill. I don't know if it takes me 10 minutes or whatever it was. But somewhere from the bottom of the hill to the top of the hill, 
I decided that maybe running away wasn't a good idea after all. I didn't have any money. Uh, I couldn't get a job. I, I had no prospects. I mean, living on this hill was no way forward. Um, and so what did I do? I, I turned around. I walked back home. I walk in the house, and, and my mother says, hello. She, she, she's not surprised to see me. There, we all know, an 8, 10, 12-year-old deciding to be self-reliant in that way, walk away from home, is foolish. Now, I got one more for you. Uh, I, I've already been vaccinated, so this is a hypothetical. I've had my two shots the two weeks. I'm fully there. Um, but let's do a hypothetical. What if I, I walked in here today and told you that I, I don't want the Pfizer, I don't want the Moderna, I don't want the Johnson & Johnson or any of the others. I'm going to make my own vaccine. I'm going to figure it out. I'm a self-reliant person. I'm going to figure it out myself. I'll do it myself. And I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to get some vitamins. I don't know which ones, D, B, whichever ones. K, that's one, right? Let's do, put all those together and see what we can do. Now, I mean, we, we've all seen the news. There's, there's spike proteins and there's cells and there's RNA stuff. And I'll be honest with you, like, I hear it, but I don't, I don't really know what that means. And I'll be honest with you. In, in high school, in science, biology, chemistry, I was not the best student. So, you, you know, for any of us, maybe that would be a fool's errand. But for me, you know, it's an extra level of fool's errand for me to decide I'm going to do this. We, we all know that if I say tomorrow I'm going to go make a vaccine because I'm a self-reliant person, we all know I'm, I'm being foolish. That, that's impossible. You know, that, I can't do that. I can't begin to understand. I can't watch a YouTube video on that and figure it out like, you know, changing the taillight or headlight out of my car. It's not the same for that. Um, it's a little bit more. And, but how foolish would that be? Well, we, we come to this text of Hosea 13, and what we see is a nation who has said... I'm going to be spiritually self-reliant. They, they have said, I'm going to do my own vaccine. I'm going to w- run away from God, and I'm going to figure it out myself. I'm going to do it myself. I don't need you, God. I can figure it out myself. And we're going to see the foolishness of this nation, the folly of spiritual self-reliance. If you, if you like to take notes, my... my title is The Folly of Spiritual Self-Reliance. Uh, we're going to read Hosea 13. You, you've wondered if we're going to get there. We're getting there. But before we do, I just want to read a little passage for you from Proverbs that in some ways I feel like is the, the opposite of this passage. You think about this passage. It's not perfectly so, but it's, it's kind of the opposite. It, it may be a passage you're very familiar with. Maybe you learned it as a child. Maybe you're teaching it to your children. It's, it's Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. I'll read it to you very quickly. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Now, as we come to Hosea 13, they're going to do the opposite of of Proverbs 3, 5, and 7. Let's read our text, Hosea 
13, 1 through 4. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He, he exalted himself in Israel, but through Baal he did wrong and died. And now they send more and more and make for themselves molten images, idols, skillfully made from their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. They say of them, let the men who sacrifice kiss the calves. Therefore they will be like the morning cloud and like the dew which soon disappears, like chaff which is blown away from the threshing floor and like smoke from a chimney. Yet, yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt, and you are not to know any God except me, for there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness in the land of drought. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied, and be, being satisfied... Their heart became proud, and therefore they forgot me. So I will be like a lion to them, like a leopard. I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. I will tear open their chest, therefore also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me, against your help. Where now is your king that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you've requested? Give me a king and a prince. I gave you a king in my anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is stored up. The pains of childbirth come upon him. He's not a wise son, for it is not the time that he should delay at the opening of the womb. So I ransomed them from the power of Sheol. So I redeemed them from death. O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Though he flourishes among the weeds, an east wind will come. The wind of the Lord coming up from the wilderness, and his fountain will become dry. And his spring will be dried up. It will plunder his treasury of every precious article. Samaria will be guilty, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. The little ones will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. Uh, Let's pray. Fathers, we come to this text. We pray and ask that you would open our eyes to see your word. We pray you'd open our our hearts to receive it. Lord, we pray right now that Jesus would be magnified in our eyes. And that we would want to worship him and obey him and follow him more because we have seen this text today. We pray, Lord, that you would feed us from your word. Lord, I don't have the answers. I don't know all, but you do. And so we ask that you would speak as I speak through your word and that you would call us to yourself more deeply, more fully, and and more lastingly, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, uh, we're talking about the folly of self-reliance. Now, Ephraim, like I said, was, was a big tribe in Israel. Ten tribes of divided kingdom. Ephraim was a big tribe. It's become such a prominent tribe that you can read the prophets and come upon passages like this, where God will speak to Ephraim for the nation. And so, it's, at times, instead of saying Israel, he'll just say Ephraim. Even though Ephraim's not the whole, and he's speaking to one instead of the whole, but in speaking to him, he is speaking to all. And so 
he, he begins by speaking to Ephraim, and he says, um, Ephraim, there was trembling. So he begins by talking about Ephraim's power and his pride of pray, place in the tribes. And I, as we're talking about the folly of self-reliance, um, my first point is the spiritual self-reliance leads to idols. And we'll see that in our text. If you like to take notes, I'll just tell you all my points up front. No surprises. Uh, Point number one, the spiritual self-reliance leads to idols. Point number two, spiritual self-reliance leads to pride. And point number three, spiritual self-reliance leads to judgment. So let's get back to our text. Uh, Point number one, spiritual self-reliance leads to idols. And we see that in verse number one, Ephraim is, is exalted in Israel, but then immediately he exalts himself. So, so he had a pride of place, and then he begins to exalt himself, and then begins to follow idols. He begins to follow Baal. It says in verse number one, he did wrong and died. I think that dying there is, is in much the same way that we read in Genesis of where Adam and Eve ate the fruit and they died. They died spiritually in that moment and eventually they die physically. It's the same thing here. Ephraim rejected God and he died spiritually as a nation. The, the people of the nation rejected him. And then eventually the Assyrians come and destroy the nation and take away the people captive. And, and so he did wrong and died. It, it's very much the same way that in, in the garden, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, rebelled, and died. It's very much the same way. And, and the text goes on. Now they sin more and more. And so they don't just, when we get into sin, we don't just have a taste. It's, it's like the chips. You don't have one. You, it grows and becomes bigger and takes us further than we want to go. But again, his sin begins in exalting himself. He becomes reliant on himself. He no longer needs the Lord. He'll make his own gods. He'll make his own way. Uh, and the text goes on to, to talk about how he doesn't start little. He makes it big. At, that They sin more and more in verse 2. They make for themselves molten images. Their idols are skillfully made from their silver. All of them are the work of craftsmen. So you, you just think about this. You know, if, if we were going to get into idolatry today um, in this way, idolatry is a sin today in our hearts, but, but typically we're not bowing down before literal things. We're bowing down in the way we spend our time, the way we uh, give our affections to things. That's how we're bowing to idols typically today. We're not typically bowing before a little statue. But you, you think about if we got into this today that in the same way they did, how they have to craft it. They go to a man, they give him some silver, he, he makes them an idol. And, and this just speaks to the, the deceitfulness of our sin. Uh, because, I mean, you, you know, if we were doing this today and it was, well, who, who's, who's the craftsman who, who's making your calf? Well, it's Bill down the street. He's an excellent craftsman. He's, he's got a page on Etsy. He's, he's amazing at it. And you think, well, what kind of God do you have that Bill down the street, however good he is at craftsmanship, can make your God? How great can he be if Bill can make him? He's no real God. But it, it's the deceitfulness of sin 
that it deceives them into thinking that a little cow that they bow before and they worship can meet their needs. That little cow has no power to meet their needs. That little cow has no power to meet what they want and what they to satisfy them. Well, let's take it up to today for a moment. Our sin, my sin, is just as deceitful as Bill's little cow shop down the street making idols. My sin is just as deceitful as his. Now, we look at that and we laugh and think, that's funny, ha, 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 how dumb are they to bow before cows? But what do I bow before? Sometimes I'm bowing before people's esteem, before people's expectations. I'm bowing before what you think of me or or what you can give me. I'm bowing before pleasure. I'll violate God's law to have pleasure. I'll violate God's law to have money. All these temptations that come to us and, and call us to violate God's law to have them. And in the moment... The lie we tell ourselves is, this is worth it. It's worth it to go to that website and look at that thing that I should be looking at, because that will make me happy. We're just as foolish as Bill bowing before a cow or somebody bowing before an idol when we believe that lie. We're just as foolish when we say, if you knew the way she treated me, if you knew the way he treated me, then you'd know why I responded the way I did. You know why I reacted the way I way. I'm justified in my anger. I'm justified in my wrath. I'm justified in what I'm doing. We're just as deceived as they are. When they bow before those cows. We want to justify ourselves. And this is part of the sin of this idolatry. Is how deceived we are by it. In the text. It doesn't say in my version. But some of the other versions make it explicit. Um, But part of it there with the idolatry. And they say let the men who sacrifice kiss kiss the calves. uh, Part of that there. And it's translated in other versions is that it has to do with human sacrifice. And in this time in, in Israel, as you look in the, in the Bible, you'll see that often when they were engaging in human sacrifice, it was the sacrifice of children and babies. It, 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 if you can imagine it, it's, it's the worst possible way that you could engage in this. I mean, it's a horrible activity to begin with, but it's the worst possible way that you could engage in it that you could imagine that you would take your own baby and kill it and let someone else kill it. How horrible is that? How against nature is that? But how deceived are these people that they think they'll have better crops, a better life, they'll be happier with God if they just... But, but you know, they probably didn't start out doing that. They probably started out with something small and, and that's where their sin took them. And that's a word for us, because sin will, may start out with something small small, and take us further than we ever want to go. And so we need to see that the folly of self-reliance, when we spiritually look to ourselves instead of God, then we are opening up ourselves to all kinds of forms of idolatry. And we need to be aware of this sin, because I think... Pride and idolatry, both the sins we're, we're largely going to be talking about today, are sins that creep into your heart, creep into your mind, and at times you don't realize you're 
engaging idolatry, you just think, I'm loving my child. I'm loving my spouse. I'm loving being good at my job. But then you make that good thing an ultimate thing, and it becomes an idol in your life. Um, A verse that I think is really helpful for me, and hopefully for you too, to think about this is Philippians 1.21. In that passage, he says, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And if you can say, answer the question, what is it for you to live? If it is Christ, then your heart is in the right place. Christ is first in your life. He's all in your life. For me to live, it is Christ. But if you can put anything else in that blank, for me to live is my wife or spouse, my children, what people think of me, getting ahead, money, any other thing that you can put in that space, if it's something other than Christ, then you know you have an idol in your life. If you're living for that thing instead of for Christ. And again, I I think this is something where we're deceived at times, and we don't even realize at times how much of a hold things will have on us until someone tries to take it away, until someone threatens it. And then we get angry, and then we become wrathful, and then we blow up. And it begins to be a, a pointer to us that that thing has become an idol in our life. We've begun to worship it. We don't bow before it, but we give it more of our affection than we should. We give it the affection that God should have in our heart. We give to this thing. And so idols can be many things. It's, it's something that's been elevated to the place of God in our life. Uh, it can be family. It can be things. It can be money. It can be pleasure. It can be all sorts of things. But we go back to that heart question from Philippians one twenty one: For me to live as Christ and die as gain, what can you put in that place? What is for you to live? Is it Christ or is it something else? Um, what are you living for right now? Uh, part of the, the, the foolishness of this idolatry, uh, we're going to continue to see it in um, our text, is that, um, verse 3, that he says of the people... Ephraim, that they're going to be, they've chosen idolatry, and now they're going to be like a cloud. They're going to be like the dew. They're going to be like chaff. They're going to be like smoke. They're not going to last. Judgment will come. They won't last. That is true, but we we can also say it's true that their sin is the same way. The, The things they are building their life on, the things that they are living for, are chaff and dew and smoke and and empty. And so it's foolish, it's folly, because there is something better to live for. There's something better to love. There's something better to give your life for, and it's, it's Jesus Christ. It's our Lord and what He has done for us. You, you go to these idols and they cannot hear you, when there is a God who can hear you. You, you go to these idols and say, care for me, provide for me, save me. When there is a God who can save and can hear and does care about your life and who you are and what's going on. You know, we all feel at times that no one cares. No one knows. And in effect, that's true, isn't it? Because no one knows what's going on inside of you right now. Nobody knows fully what's inside of you. But there is a God who does know and he does care and he does love you. Yet you're going, and sometimes I'm going to idols that can't hear me, can't provide for me, can't meet my needs. 
And, and so the folly of self-reliance, we lie on ourselves spiritually is that it leads us to idols. But point number two, this, the folly of self, spiritual self-reliance is that it leads to pride. And we see that in verse number four and through six. Let's read that again. Yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. And you are not to know any God except me. For there is no Savior besides me. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, as they had their pasture. They became satisfied, and being satisfied, their heart became proud, and they forgot me. Uh, So this spiritual self-reliance, it leads to pride. We see that in our text. Uh, We see there, in verse number 4, in their spiritual self-reliance, what has Ephraim forgotten? Well, they have forgotten that the Lord is their God. He says, I am the Lord your God. I have been the Lord your God. In some ways, this reminds me, maybe not perfectly, but reminds me of what a spouse may say to an unfaithful spouse. I am your husband. I am your wife. I am the person you're to be faithful to. I am the person that you are to have this relationship with. Yet you're going to other people for what is only ours. He's saying, I have been the Lord your God. And he says it since the land of Egypt. Now, maybe you know what that means. He's referencing that they were slaves in Egypt, and God brought them out of slavery, saved them from slavery, and brought them into a new land. For the nation, their salvation is very much tied up to the deliverance from Egypt and to being brought out of that. That is, in the nation story, it's like their salvation story. It's their moment of being saved and, and being brought out of slavery. It's referenced many times in Scripture. In the same way, the Lord could say to us, Do you remember when you were far from me, when you were not following me, and I came into your life, and I saved you, and I brought you to myself, and even though you were going the other direction. You didn't want anything to do with me. Yet I loved you. And I cared for you. And you learned about me. You learned about what I have done for you in Jesus Christ. That even though you were my enemy, Jesus came and died for your sins. That Jesus was buried and raised that you might be saved. This is what I have done for you. Just as God had saved Israel from Egypt and slavery, God has saved us if we're in Christ um, from our sins and from hell. So in the same way, he could say to us when we are looking to idolatry, we are looking to pride, that I have been your God and I have saved you from your sin and your slavery to it. And he says, and you were not to know any God except me. I was to be the only one. I was to be the only one that you looked to and that you followed. Yet you've been going after other gods. They've been deceived and deceiving themselves and relying on themselves for idolatry. And so we are reminded of this foolishness in their lives as they are following these idols and not seeing the one Savior who can save them. And he goes on to say that there is no Savior besides me. Jesus said very much the same thing in John fourteen six when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me, but through me. He is the one way to heaven. Now, 
the world, our culture, says there's many ways to God. But that's not true. They're setting up many idols, but there's one true God. And there's one way to heaven. And it's shown us to us in Jesus Christ. What is good, what is even more good about that is not just that he's shown us, but he has called us to himself. Many passages in the scripture where he says, Come to me, you who are weary and heaven laden, and come to me and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, You that are thirsty, come to me and I will fill you. I will fill you. I will satisfy you. He calls us to come to him and know his salvation. But but so the, the people... Um, violated the covenant with God in many ways. Uh, they, they went to other gods. They, they vi- had other, tried to find other saviors. But it was the Lord who cared for them in the wilderness, in the land of drought. He is the one who satisfied them. Uh, but we see in verse number 6 uh, a very telling, and, and, and for us maybe a convicting passage when we think about it. As they had their pasture, they became satisfied. As, and being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. Now, isn't this a convicting passage? Because we, we all know there are times when we are at ease, when we are to tempted to forget the Lord. And, and not in a, we renounce him or we you know, walk away from the faith, but that, in, that we forget to pray or we forget to acknowledge him in our life. Just as Proverbs, the text we looked at at the beginning, calls us to acknowledge him in all ways. We forget to acknowledge him. You know, I think about the passages where Jesus says, When I come back, when the set of men returns, will we find faith in the earth? And there's another passage where he says that it will be as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah, they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage. Now, what's wrong with eating and drinking and giving in marriage? What's wrong with getting married? What's wrong with eating? What's wrong with drinking? Nothing. That's not the point. The point is, if you knew today was your last day, how would you live it? If you knew today that there was a warrant out for your arrest, and you were guilty, and they were coming for you, and the sentence was death, well, would your th- first thought be, let's go eat and drink, let's go get married, let's go live this way and act like that's not even happening? Maybe if you're in situ- that situation, you would be thinking that way. But any wise person would say, no, you need to be living in light of this sentence of judgment that's over you. And they weren't living that way. And there are times when we live as though God is not God, and as though he doesn't have any claim on our life, and as though it doesn't matter how we live. We live in this way. And when we're doing that, we're automatically being self-reliant because we're not being reliant on him. We're being, being, being reliant on ourselves for our satisfaction, for our needs, uh, for our happiness, for our joy, for what is right. We're, we're do, going by our own wisdom instead of his wisdom. And so this is a passage that should stop us in our step as we see it and say, Lord, I thank you for the pasture. I thank you for the good things you've given me. But I don't want to be satisfied in those things. 
And it's very easy for us to do that. It's very easy for us that if you have enough money to live on or even more, it's easy at times to think, I'm just going to enjoy my money or I'm going to enjoy my pleasure or I'm going to enjoy my family or I'm going to whatever it is and become satisfied in what you have and forget your God. And so he, this is a convicting passage for us because it's so easy to see how that can happen. It, but it's not just that we become satisfied in those things, but then our heart becomes proud. And, and pride is, again, it's a very deceitful sin because isn't it easy to see it in other people? I don't know how you feel about it, but I feel like I'm an expert at spotting pride in other people. I mean, I just know it when I see it. I bet you feel the same way. I mean, somebody gets up here and just tells you how great they are, and you just think, you make me sick. You're the proudest, most arrogant person I know. You make me sick. You're so pride, prideful. But then, uh, we, we're horrible. Or I'll speak for myself. Maybe you're different. I'm horrible at seeing it in myself. I'm really good at seeing it in you, horrible at seeing it in myself. And so I walk around... And I see somebody else failing, and I think to myself, man, look, I, I'd never do that. I, I'd never act that way. Not realizing I've done the same kind of thing this week. It, but I am so full of pride, I think I'm better than that person. I, I'd never react that way. I'd never fly off the handle. I'd never get so angry. I'd never talk that way. And then I do the same sort of thing. And, and I think we all, at times, have those experiences where we are apt to judge another person. We're apt to be prideful and not realize we're engaging in the very same sins many times that we're judging other people for. But even if we weren't, even if we weren't engaging in those exact sins, the truth is all of us are prone to stumble. All of us are prone to fall. All of us needs God's grace every day. And so we're, we're sinning in other ways. What, what, what we tend to do is we pick these sins out and say, these are not our sins, and we beat up those people, and we just ignore these sins over here that we're struggling with. I, I, I heard one time on the radio a, a preacher who um, um, was preaching, and he was saying something like, um, uh, you know, and all you people who aren't coming to church, you know, da 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 and was, you know, giving them down the road about not being at church. Now, what's the funny thing about that? Uh, and I think people were amening. I may be imagining that part, but maybe people were amening, maybe they weren't. But what's the funny part of that? The, the people who aren't coming to church aren't here. They're not hearing this sermon. This part of the sermon is not for them. They're not getting any benefit out of this. And the people who are here who are saying, Amen, Amen, Pastor, get those people who aren't here and can't hear this their sins aren't being called out. So we feel good when you call out other people's sin because you're ignoring our sin. And that's the natural way that I do and sometimes maybe you do where we are prideful in our own sin, in our own self, and we can look down at other people as though we were perfect when we're not. And so this is a deceitful sin. How do we fight pride? Well, I think there are some ways to do it. I think one is living in community with other people and giving those people passport to speak into our lives. Because, like I say, it's hard for me to see my own pride at times. I need you 
to speak into my life and tell me, brother, you probably don't realize this, but man, that's a prideful thing to say. Or brother, it sounds like you're, you're not open to correction. Are you, are you being prideful right now? Is that why you're not open to correction? I think a lot of times that's where my pride will come out if, if I don't want to hear criticism or I don't want to hear feedback or I don't want to be open to correction. But pride is the kind of sin that's difficult to see, but that we as a church need to decide that we want to be open to being corrected. We want to be open to being confronted. And, and some of us, I think this is another step of pride, isn't it? That if if Pastor Tommy comes and he comes to your house and he speaks to you about it, that you'd listen to Pastor Tommy. But if brother so-and-so comes or sister so-and-so comes, you know what? They're not as far as long as I am in the faith. I I don't need to listen to them. Now, if Pastor Tommy tells me I have a problem with this, I'll listen to Pastor Tommy, but not you because you're not as good as me or you're not as far as long as any kind of prideful reason we can put up that we can defend ourselves from being corrected and being confronted. It's all pride. And we give excuses to why we don't want to hear correction. But the truth is, it's because of our pride. And that's an ugly sin. And you know it when you see it in other people. But we don't know it so well when it's happening in us. But it's just as ugly when I'm being prideful as somebody else is. So, so we want to be open to correction. And, and I just want to say as we're talking about this, that correction often is imperfect. I, I come to correct you and I am too hard. Or I don't get it all right. I, I'm too, it, you know, it's more like this, but I say it more like that. And correction, correction can be really imperfect. Maybe I'm too rough. Maybe I'm too hard. And you say, you know what, I'm not going to listen to you because... The way you told me that, when what we should be saying is, maybe you're the mouth of the Lord to me about this sin in my life. And even though you didn't say it quite right, even though you were a little bit harder than I wanted to hear it, you weren't, you didn't see some stuff that were going on over here, you didn't have the whole story, I want to be open to hearing from the Lord. Whoever he sends me to correct me, I want to be open to correction. And... I think the other side of that is if, if you, as a brother and sister in Christ, see somebody in, in our church who, 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 men to men, women to women, that you want to correct in love, not because you just like to beat people up and you have a bat you carry around and you like to waylay people with it, but because you in love want to help a brother or sister in Christ in a way that you think they really need to hear. They... If, if they could see it from your perspective, they would want to know. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, sometimes you walk around and there's something in your teeth or there's something in your nose or there's something that's not quite right. Um, and you get to a mirror and you go, I, I've been walking around with people all day and nobody said a thing about this. And I just wish someone would have said something because I look like a fool. Why wouldn't somebody be kind enough to tell me? If we could see, we'd want somebody to tell us that we're failing in this way. So as you go to tell someone, just know they may not handle it very well. It may not always be fun, maybe never fun, when you go to confront someone in love, not because you want to beat them up, because you think they'd want it. If they could see this thing on them, they'd want somebody to tell them. 
that it may not always go well. And that's okay. And as we go to confront one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to go in love. We want to check our motives. I want to, I'm not coming here because I just like to tell people the wrong, but because I love you. I want to help you. Not because I, I just like to be right and like to beat up people. And also, I, I want to pray, Lord, help me to say the right thing. Help them to hear it as the right thing. And if it doesn't go well, Lord, help me not to write off this person or this friendship or this relationship and just say, well, they blew back up at me and said, started listing all the things that I'm doing wrong. I'm never talking to them about anything again. No, I, I want to be patient and long-suffering. And this living together as brothers and sisters in Christ is a long-term deal. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so there will be trips and falls and bumps and sprains. But if we're going to live life together, we want to go all the way together. And times it may be difficult and painful, but what Christ has called us to is worth going through those difficult times together. And there will be sweet times and wonderful times and glorious times. And there will be hard times and ugly times and pitiful times. But we're going to walk together as we follow Christ through all these things together as we seek to follow him and love him. Uh, But pride is, is deceiving as well because... It tells us that we're enough. It tells us to rely on ourselves. It tells us how great we are. And and it's all a lie. Because we know, if we were honest, and we could see ourselves, we we know that we are failures in many ways. We know we're sinful in many ways. We know that we are needy people. That we need the Lord, and we need His grace and power in our life. And so when we... Say about how great we are and how wonderful we are. We're lying to ourselves. And we're also robbing ourselves of looking to the one who is able, who is good, who is worthy. And instead of looking to him and seeing how great he is and worshiping him, which is what we're made for, after all, we're worshiping ourselves over here. How foolish are we? When we look to ourselves instead of to Christ. He is the one who has come and died for our sins. He is the one who lived the life we should have lived. And died the death that we should have died. He is the one who was raised from the dead. That we might walk in newness of life. And will raise us from the dead also. How foolish are we when we are prideful. Instead of seeing his perfection and worshiping him. Point number three, spiritual self-reliance leads to judgment. This is verses 7 through 16. Uh, Let's read uh, verses 7, 8, and 9. So I will be like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie in wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs. And I will tear open their chest. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. It is your destruction, O Israel, that you are against me and against your help. The right and righteous response of God to our sin of self-reliance is judgment. It's judgment. The, the righteous response of a holy God 
to sin is judgment. And, and we see that. He says, I'll be like a lion, a leopard, a bear, a lioness, a wild animal. I will confront them. I'll lie in wait. I'll tear them. I'll devour them. They'll be destroyed. Verses 10 and 11, the leaders they have that they hope in will not be able to save them. There will not be a political solution to our problems. Trump can't save us. Biden can't save us from the judgment of God. And he asks us in verse 14, Shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol? Shall I redeem them from this death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. And so this judgment, if we see it in this text, is horrible. It's, it's horrible. Why? It's because the sin that precedes it is so horrible. We, we've talked about it, that God has saved them from slavery. He's given them a land to live in. He's giving them everything they need. They were going through a wilderness and they didn't have a Nike store. So God gave them shoes that would not wear out. He gave them clothes that kept going. They got thirsty. God had Noah or Moses strike a rock and water flowed out for them to drink. I mean, what better deal could you get? If we were thirsty today, we'd go outside and find a rock and hit it and we all had something to drink. What better deal could you want? He provided for all of their needs. And, and what is their response to him? You're great, but look at this cow, the idol that I have here. I'm going to sacrifice and live for it. I'm going to even sacrifice some of my children to it. How Horrible. We see the judgment and we think, how horrible is that judgment? But that's because we don't see the sin and see how horrible the sin is that precedes it. The judgment is righteous. The judgment is what is deserved. You know, I've thought about, I've been watching some documentaries, some crime documentaries um, recently. And in some of those documentaries, there's a, a criminal and eventually the criminal is caught and eventually the criminal... Um, sometimes gets on death row and, and they eventually die because of that. And, and, you know, in that part of the documentary, you think about how horrible, it, it, you know, that this person's being killed, this person is dying. But then you think about all the crimes this person's committed and you think there, there was one of the, the documentaries where the, um, the attorney who was prosecuting the person said, this person should get the same mercy they showed their victims. And when you think about it that way, it's like, yes, this right here is horrible, but it's no more horrible than what this person has done and what they've earned for themselves and their crimes. It, it, so it's, it's in the same way that we look at this judgment and we think, how horrible is it? But then we see the sin and we see how horrible it is. And, and sometimes you hear people talk about... Um, why do good things happen to good people? Uh, well, because there are no good people. There are only sinners in the world. We know what they're talking about, you know, morally good people. But even in that, there's none of us that are without sin. Um, people talk about, how about the, the person who's never, the innocent person who's never heard the gospel? Uh, the problem is there is no innocent person who's heard the gospel. They're only sinners. That's all we have. 
me and you and all the rest of humanity are all in rebellion against God. We're all sinning and earning for ourselves judgment and wrath. And that's what he says here. He says their, their wrath is held up. It, God didn't strike them down the first time they sinned. God didn't strike them down the first time they made an idol. They've been doing this for hundreds of years. Not, not just for one generation, but for generations and generations and generations and generations. They have been living against God. And then the judgment comes. It's just. It's right. It's what they have earned for themselves. It, it's, it's what they have asked for themselves. Because they've said, Lord, I don't want you in my life. I'm going to be spiritually self-reliant. I'm going to go my own way. And this is where that leads. Every time, this is what that ends with. Judgment, death, an eternity without the God of the universe. And it is horrible. And we should see it as that. And that's why the Lord has called us to be his ambassadors, to go out and tell others about him, and call them to come in, because the judgment that is, the hell that is, is horrible. And we don't want anyone to know that judgment. We want them to turn to the God of the universe and know him. He loves them. Before they were ever born, he loves them. And has called them to himself. And we want them to know him and to be saved. And so we bring this message of judgment. But we have another message as well. Because we see in verse 14 he says, So I ransomed them from the power of Sheol. So I redeemed them from death. O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? And many of you know that this passage is quoted in the New Testament. It's, It's quoted in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul is talking about the resurrection. And he, he, it's a long chapter. It's, it's verses, I think, 55 through 58 that this is quoted. A long chapter. But there he quotes this passage as he's talking about the resurrection of Christ and then about the resurrection that you and I will have if we're in Christ, that we will be raised also. And he's saying for us that if we are in Christ, that we can say, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your thorns? If we are trusting in Christ, we no longer have to feel, fear that judgment. We no longer have to fear that death. And so in our passage in Hosea, this, O death, where is your thorns? O shield, where is your sting? He says right after that, my compassion will be hidden because God's judgment will come on, did come on this nation. The Assyrians come and they are cruel people and they kill and destroy and and do all manner of evil to them and carry them off. But for us who are here, we have the opportunity for mercy. Christ has given us the opportunity of mercy. And the gospel is in some ways very simple, but it's very hard. It's very simple in that we know that we are sinners and we have violated God's law and we deserve his righteous judgment. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come and died for our sins and been raised from the dead so that anyone who will turn from their sins and trust fully in him will be saved. And so it's really simple. Turn from your sins and trust in him. 
But in another sense, it's impossible because we love our sins. We want our sins. We want, we're prideful. We, we love our idols. We look to these things and say we love them. The good news of the gospel is, though, that there is power in the gospel to break through thorny, stony hearts. And he tells us in Ezekiel and Jeremiah that he'll, he'll go in and he'll do surgery and he'll take out that heart of stone and he'll put in a heart of flesh. And he'll change that person's heart and so they'll turn and look at him and, and believe. And so we can go out and share the gospel boldly, confidently, not because we're so good at it, but because we're bringing a message of salvation that God has empowered to call people to himself. And if you're in Christ today, you know that. Because there was a time when you didn't know the Lord. There was a time when you were far from him. And he called you to himself and drew you to him and changed your heart and changed your life. And so we see this judgment. But even in this judgment, there is hope. There is hope for any person who will turn to Christ and be saved. There is a salvation that he brings to everyone who will turn and trust in him. And so we as believers can be confident to share this gospel. And anyone here who may be far from the Lord can know that no matter what you've done, no matter where you're coming from, this Jesus will receive you. This Jesus will save you. This Jesus will call you to himself. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so thankful for this gospel that is good news for every person who will come and turn to you. You will receive them. It is good news for us as Christians because it is the power within which we live the Christian life. We can do nothing without you. Uh, Lord, uh, we are so tempted to be prideful. We are so tempted to, to idols. We are so tempted, Lord, to ignore the judgment that is coming. Lord, would you open our eyes today? Would you open our hearts today that we would see, that we would hear, that we would receive your word? Um, Lord, we need you more than ever. And we are thankful that more than ever you are able to meet our needs. And we worship you now for that and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the First Baptist Newton Podcast. If you want to learn more, check out our website at newtonfbc.org. We'll see you next time.